Alright, men. Now, we have known for some time now that the end of the season would be upon us. And that time has come. To ensure victory for our side, we must get into the trenches and storm the battlefield like never before. This is our mission, gentlemen. Let's do this. Tanks, forward. Ah, I love the smell of a tank in the morning. And now, for the coup de gras. What the? Sorry, Tay. Must have recorded over it. Seriously? We're trying to win a war here and you record over the Valkyrie? Look, sorry. I like the song. I'll make you feel better. We can hit up the nearest McDonald's. I got a gift card from the set. Damn it, man! Everybody knows that Melder put no money on those damn cards. Oh my. My goodness, Brian Murray. <sighs> yeah, me too. He would have put money on those damn cards. Yeah. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensi. Tim, how are you, sir? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, well, about as good as you can be, uh, considering how things things have been of late. But uh, right now, I think uh, Calgary is probably better described as a lake than anything else. Oh yeah, is it finally uh, the melting there? Melted. Right on. Did you guys get any rain, snow, anything like that this past week? We had a pretty decent snow dumping uh, the last few days, but yeah, now it's uh, clean skies and above zero. That is great to hear, man. You know, Tim, you and I like to have a lot of fun here on the Third Line Plug Sensecast, but this past week has been anything but fun. On Wednesday evening, we... Or sorry, excuse Thursday, we learned the news of the passing of Jonathan Petrie. He had passed away on Wednesday evening in a Minnesota hospital at age 17 to complication of septic shock. Petrie, who was born with a painful and incurable genetic disease called EB, spent the majority of his life undergoing operations and treatments. Yeah, it's, it's a shame. Uh, but it was also uh, pretty amazing that... Uh, despite the illness he was able to bring uh, so much light to uh, the senator's organization all the fans and uh, it just really made uh, the run in last year and it's kind of the weaker seasons before that just a lot easier to follow because there was this really feel-good fight story and for the most part it seemed like uh, Jonathan's health was moving in the right way too which is why this is all the more shocking absolutely I can't remember if it was in our practice episodes or was it the our regular episodes that we talked about him getting the stem cell transplant. Yeah, and at the time it seemed to be taking so. To hear the news on Thursday morning was an absolute shock, and uh, yeah, my prayers go to uh, the Petra family and hope everything, uh, and best wishes. Yeah, our condolences to the Petri family and his mother Tina. And if you weren't shocked enough over the Petri death, we learned that the Humboldt Broncos of the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League was involved in a bus crash involving an 18-wheeler which claimed the lives of 14 people, including their head coach, and injuring 15 others. Three of the players, Derek Planter, Grayson Cameron, and Nick Sholanke, were among the injured. Now, I did learn today, I think Jackson Joseph, who was on the team, has also passed away. Yeah, and then it was reported that uh, they had misidentified two people in the crash. Uh, one of the one of the boys they identified dead was alive, and one of the boys they wasn't identified dead had deceased. I know there's been a lot of backlash on Twitter over this, and you know you gotta realize that these are medical professionals, and they are humans. They are gonna make mistakes, even if in the medical field. I mean, you can't really make mistakes like that well the hard the especially hard thing is is when like i could understand like it's 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 rough out there especially if uh there's been extensive damage to physical identifiers yeah it's been really really sad man and you know what 
I really love that our country has really came together to donate hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think the millions take. I don't like even when I was on t- watching TSN there today. The official number now was six million dollars, but when I last checked, it was hundreds of thousands. And apparently, at airports now, they're saying they would say over the intercom if you are on a flight, if you are willing to give it up to the families for the kids who are involved in this, and boom, people were like, yeah, not a problem. Like, we'll absolutely give up our seats for them. Hmm. What's, well, it's, the thing is, is like, these, these sorts of incidences, they rock, like, those small towns, these, uh, like, junior A teams are kind of the core of the town. Like, uh, and, like, imagine if, like, the, like, both of us grew up in Duncan, and the local team was the Couch and Valley Capitals. Like, if that bus crashed, we'd probably know a few of the, we'd know, like, five of the kids. Absolutely, man. And I know I put up on Twitter that, you know, I know majority of people in this country didn't know the kids personally and couldn't point out Humboldt on the map. But still, I mean, the millions of dollars we've donated and the seats we've given up on airplanes for the team and their families really shows that there's a lot of love and a lot of care given to these kids who none of us really knew about. Mm-hmm. But I think it's... And you heard it a lot from commentators this weekend is it's a relatable tragedy because like all of us have driven those treacherous roads a lot of a lot of us have driven it for like road trips for sports teams or school trips or stuff like that and you always dread it like going over those icy roads on like rural highways this it just happens to be the realization of every like every kid's worst fear yeah, so once again, our thoughts and prayers go to the Humboldt Broncos and to the family of Jonathan Petrie. So, Tim, now that we got all that stuff out of the way, uh, let's go on to talk about some lighter stuff. And yeah. stuff like, how has your week been? Honestly, pretty good. Uh, I was a bit I was sick this weekend. That kind of sucked. But, yeah, just not a busy week at all. Yeah? Was it sort of yeah. a just a common cold or a stomach bug? I just felt like... Like, I just, like, upset stomach, headache all weekend. It was kind of weird. Well, Tim, you had to watch two of these Sens games this week, so I wouldn't blame you. Yeah, no kidding. How was you? Well, let me tell you about it. It was a clusterfuck. Now, I would do the, you know, the beer, cracking the beer sound effect here, but I don't have a beer in front of me, so I'm just going to talk about it. I came back after having nine, ten days off of spring break on Tuesday. Yep. I get there, and I get to work. As soon as I get in, my boss goes to me and goes, Oh, yeah, Alicia's not here. Alicia is the other receiver. She's the morning receiver. She's the person who works from, like, Tuesday for, like, two or three days that I'm there. I said, Okay, not a problem. Yeah, whatever. She had to go home, deal with her kids. So I had to do both of our jobs that day. Oh. That was a busy day, and then... Wednesday, I get to work. Alicia's not there again. Once again, her kid is sick. And Andrew, who's one of our dishwashers and a good friend of mine, his daughter ended up in the hospital because she was allergic to some baby formula that she was given. So it looked pretty scary there. So not only did I have to do my job and Alicia's job, I had to do Andrew's job, too, and jump into the dish pit. Oh, geez. But as long as everything kept rolling. Oh, it kept rolling from there, buddy. Thursday. Once again, Alicia's not there because her kid was sick. And I'm just thinking, how fucking sick is this kid? Like, I can understand, okay, one or two days, but three days? I mean, I wasn't really that mad about it. I was like, you know, you got to deal with your priorities first. But still, a text, a tweet, a sticky note, that would have been nice. Instead of me just coming to work and being like, Oh, by the way, you have to do two jobs now. I'm like, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a late night. Then Friday, I had to... Oh, boy, that was a busy day, too. I had to set up... What did I have to do? I had to set up for something and break something else down at the school. So that took me all day doing that. And then Saturday, we had the Black Tie Awards. So I was there once again till like, 11, 11.30 at night. Jeez. And as a result, Tim, I did not get to watch any of these games, which we will talk about later in the show, but... Lucky you, honestly. I know. They're all pretty bad. 
Yeah, I got to had I got a chance to watch the condensed versions, Tim, and they did not seem any better. No kidding. So let's get into last week's episode, Tim. Did you get a chance to listen to it by any chance? No, I've just been kind of sloppy on that regard. Yeah, honestly, I didn't really listen to it either. It's just sort of, you know, because I've got so many great other podcasts to listen to, like Jay and Dan, Taggart and Torrens, all of Kevin Smith's podcast, and the debut episode of the Three Ghosts, No Wait, Four Ghosts podcast. So we got to give a shout out to our bot, Adam, for finally releasing his first episode. How was it? Not too bad, actually. He gave us a couple of shout outs in there. Oh, that's good. Well, I remember he was saying that he did quite a bit of uh, work just to get a coherent story with a coherently sourced story about High River. Yeah, he didn't really talk about High River all that much. I know that they just sort of did like a really extended intro. Be like, I'm Adam. This is my wife, Kim. And this is what we do. And they were just talking. It was a pretty decent debut episode. I'm really looking forward to see what Adam and Kim have planned for the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have to give it a listen. But good oh. for them to get for getting it off the ground. Absolutely, man. I'm super proud of Adam for that. Although I do got to point out one thing, and I'm not mad. I'm not hurt or anything. Uh-huh. Adam got more views on his first episode that we did last week. You know, not hurt or anything. Not jealous. Okay, I'm a little jealous, but other than that, I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess it doesn't help, again, not a lot of sense fans out there, I guess. Well, in our neck of the woods, anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's just you and me, Tim. Well, hopefully we'll get a few more on in the weeks ahead. Yeah, hopefully, that would be awesome. Maybe a couple of interviews coming down the pipeline, but we will stop there, and we will segue into this little segment I like to call top of the hour so we got to give a couple of shout outs here first of all we got to give a show to florida panthers goaltender roberto luongo he played his 1000th game in the nhl luongo is now third all-time third all-time in games played only behind patrick watt and martin broder you know luongo's had a spectacular career although i really hope he makes the hall of fame and Honestly, he should be a shoe-in, but I worry that his uh, collapse in those few games during the 2011 Stanley Cup Final might be a visceral holdback. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But you know what? I mean, I could look at some other people going in the Hockey Hall of Fame and be like, well, if that person's in the Hall of Fame, then Roberto should be a shoe-in. Oh, for sure. Like, he's had a fantastic career. Absolutely. Speaking of fantastic careers, we also got to give another shout to Washington Capitals forward Alexander Ovechkin, who also played his 1,000th game in the NHL. This came after Ovechkin scored his 600th goal a few weeks ago, which we talked about here on Top of the Hour. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like, it's a shame that Ovechkin will probably never get a Stanley Cup or an Olympic gold medal. Because the guy's had a fantastic career. Like, absolutely fantastic career. Oh my god. I mean, you're talking about a, really a once-in-a-generation talent. Like, we will Well, I mean, I don't... Maybe a, a McDavid or somebody, but, it, you know, to see somebody like Alex Ovechkin who just came into the league, took the league by storm, and just dominated right out of the gate. And it's continu- basically continued to do so. Yeah, like, and he hasn't been injured. Like, he's still really healthy over the last 12, 13 years that he's played in the NHL. Yeah, and if he keeps going at this pace, he might be able to challenge... Well, get close to some Gretzky numbers. Yeah, that's what I said, but I know some people on Twitter um, called me out on that, thinking, well, you know, he has to average, like, 40-something, 40 or 50 goals a season for the next five years or something to do that, and I'm thinking, it's fucking Alexander Ovechkin. I'm sure he could probably do that. Yeah, I I would not be surprised. Like, if Jeremy Yager can play until he's, like, 45, play well until he's 45, I could see Alexander Ovechkin having a similarly long-lived career. Yeah. Yeah, and, think about yeah. If Mario Lemieux could retire and then come back to still dominate, Alexander Ovechkin can chase Gretzky. Yeah, well, Ovechkin's a fitness freak, too, so I don't see... Like, I see his decline being gentle. No, I don't see it either. I think, unless he suffers a really serious injury, like, 
he seems pretty in shape and he seems like he's one that's what's the word I want to use here for ah Jesus Christ what are you thinking like he's not injury prone that's what I'm trying to say no he's like he's definitely an iron man yeah uh see Tim this is what a high school education brought me to Let's go into our next story. Vancouver Canucks forward Daniel and Hendrik Sedin both announced they will retire at the end of the season. The brothers, who were drafted by the Canucks in 1999, second and third overall, spent their <coughs> excuse me spent their entire 17-year career with the Canucks, scoring over 2,000 points combined, making them second all-time in scoring behind scoring by brothers, only behind Wayne and Brent Gretzky. Does no. Brent Gretzky really count? Yeah, he scored like six points in the NHL. This counts. Yeah, so it's Gretzky plus six. Pretty much. And you know what's funny? You know, I see all the people and they're thinking, oh, wow, Daniel Henrik Sedin had this great career and, oh, we just love them and all oh, it's classy. I'm thinking, you know, it's great of the Canucks to let their Swedish superstars retire with the team they got drafted by. Yeah. You hear that, Melnick? Yeah. This is what happens when we actually take care of our Swedish superstars. Yeah, like, I don't want to let the negative feelings about Alfie getting dicked around twice kind of stir up, but I don't know. Like watching the Sedin's last games, they were nice. It was just they're having fun, and it just reminded me of watching the Sedin's when I was younger. And you know what's funny, Tim, is that when Daniel Henrik were in their prime, I would never consider myself a really big fan of theirs. I thought. Great players, but once they've gone to the playoffs, like I've never really, I've never really seen two guys that just completely fell apart and didn't show up in the playoffs. And I always said to people thinking, oh, Daniel Hendrick's so great. They go, yeah, the problem is, is once they get into the playoffs, they don't have a real mean streak to them. And I think that was the big criticism of their career was that, you know, they were really great players, but they would never throw their weight around when it had to be done. And especially in the playoffs when they were getting thrown around by guys like Dustin Bufflin with the Blackhawks. Or uh, Marchand in Boston. Yeah, even Marchand. And I've always said during that uh, period of the Canucks between 2009 and 2012, I says, you know who the three guys that really took them through the playoffs? Was Roberto Luongo, Alex Burroughs, and Ryan Kessler. Well, and I mean, and Kevin Biesca too. Adler helped too. Yeah, Adler helped too. But I mean, you think of all the big moments of that time frame. Who are the three guys on that that contributed more than Henrik and Daniel? Well, even Kevin Biesca. Well, Kevin Biesca got, like, Kevin Biesca was huge in that 2011 playoff as well. Absolutely. And, you know... And I think another reason why is because they had a bit of a mean streak and they could thrill their weight around when it had to be done. Mm-hmm. And it was in- it's interesting, though. Like, there's players who don't have the mean streak that can still bend a series to their will, like Eric Carlson. Mm-hmm. But I think it requires, like, otherworldly talent to do that. Yeah, but Eric Carlson has- is actually a really... I feel he's a really underrated hitter from what I've seen. And, you know, you would never think of a guy 185, 190 pounds just knocking you on your ass. But, you know, once he gets some speed and momentum, like, he can really do some damage. Mm-hmm. But the big thing is, like, yeah, Car- like, Carlson, he doesn't think hit first. No, he definitely thinks of the Nick Lidstrom have the puck possession first before making a hit. Yeah, and that, well, the other thing is he's always, like, Carlson's usually, let's make the cool, let's make a good play. Let's get the puck. Yeah. Let's go into our yeah. next story, Tim. The Chicago Blackhawks, their forward, Patrick Sharp, also announced he will be retiring at the end of the season. Sharp, who was drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers, 95th overall in 2001, spent four seasons with the Flyers and Phantoms before he was traded to Chicago in 2005 for Duncan BC native Matt Ellison and a third-round pick in 20, 2006, where he won three cups with the Chicago in 2010, 2013, and 2015 before heading to Dallas in 2015 and returned to Chicago last July. I didn't realize Patrick Sharp was this old. Yeah, it's funny, right? Because, I mean, Patrick Sharp, he's been around. It's sort of like 
a Duncan Keith or a Brent Seabrook, you don't really realize how that they're getting up there in age until you really think about it. You're like, wow, like they're really like in their early to mid thirties, late thirties, some of them. Yeah. And it's like, huh, time flies, done it. Well, even like the other day, like uh, t- tangent off of it, uh, someone mentioned like Zach Smith is the, currently the longest tenured senator. And I always kind of think of Zach Smith as like, I always had this like, oh, he's kind of like a up and coming sec, like fourth, third, fourth line or third liner and i was like wait he's like 28 yeah i know because i mean him and carlson came into the league around the same time yeah it was weird actually you know what's really weird and a lot i know a lot of people didn't really mention this when the announcement was made but the reason why and i mean people could say well it's because of cap reasons in chicago but one of the main reasons i heard why patrick sharp went to dallas is because he had an affair with duncan keith's wife why is it always affairs and you know what? I was saying to somebody, this is back when I was at the restaurant, I said, well, let's be honest. If you were a woman, who would you rather fuck? Duncan Keith or Patrick Sharp? I don't know. Case closed right there. Patrick Sharp. <laughs> I don't know. It, like, with these weird trade moves, it always sounds like the cap, like cap considerations seemed like the most reasonable, but because Chicago was capped crunched back in 20, 2015, but Always an affair story. Like Daddy Heatley all the way out, affair. Schneider out, and Kessler, affair. Rod Brindamore, affair. Affair. Like these stories always crop up, and I wonder if it's just an easy way to drum up some drama, or oh, or Marty Brodeur. Oh, well, that's yeah, I remember that. That's well, be weird like... for his kids to call him Uncle Daddy yikes but it's just like i don't know i guess like up till the martin broder what i was just willing to write it off as like idle storytelling but then the confirming the broder one you always kind of give it a second look but uh no patrick sharp had a really cool career as well and capped off with a bunch of stanley cups and a gold member a gold medal if i remember correctly yeah great career from a very good very good forward Let's head on to our last retirement story. Florida Panthers forward Radim Vervada also announced his retirement. Vervada, who was selected 212th overall in 1999 by the Colorado Avalanche, spent 16 seasons in the NHL with seven seven different clubs, scoring 284 goals, 339 assists for 623 points in 1,057 games. Those are solid numbers, and Radim Vervada is definitely one of those guys who kind of gets forgotten in the shuffle. Yeah, because he was always, he's one of those guys who you know about him, but you would never think about him. Like, if, no. he's not the first guy who would ever come to mind. Yeah, and he was, like, the definition of a second-line winger. He can throw you in some defense, but most of the time he's just great secondary scoring. And, like, going at, like, a, six, a 60%, like, a .6 points per game pace, that's very good. Yeah, for what teams were employing them for. Yeah, that's actually really good. Yeah, and like I like Vadim Verbata was probably definitely a big part of back when the Coyotes were respectable, like around the ter- like around t- two thousand nine to twenty twelve. I know it seems like such a long time ago, eh, Tim? Yeah, it's weird how there's been so many like droughts. Like you've got Buffalo hasn't been in the playoffs since twenty eleven. You've got the Coyotes for pretty much just as long uh the canes have been out for nine seasons yeah who else has also been in the playoffs edmonton well edmonton made it once in the last nine years yeah i mean toronto went through almost no no they went through about eight years there yeah there's just been eight nine years it's weird because like we've had so many generational talents in the league but at the same time there's also been just these teams that have languished yeah but there's also teams who just squander the players that they have and arizona comes to mind florida comes to mind carolina comes to mind buffalo buffalo comes to mind uh who else wow i was gonna say edmonton but they got a few of those guys right well i don't know shirelli man should be the guy to trade Toronto? tyler sagan and tyler hall yeah, yeah that's true. 
but it's weird because this like this year in particular like just looking at the standings i think this is one of the first years where there really wasn't all that much parity in the league no the teams that lost lost hard and there's this huge <clears throat> gap between the playoff teams like the two teams that were on the cusp florida and st louis and then everyone else yeah and i mean even the teams that had finished in the bottom last year like colorado and new jersey are now into the playoffs yeah it's it it's definitely interesting Actually, you know what's really interesting, Tim, is up until now, we have not had a fired head coach in the NHL. Until now, the New York Rangers have fired their head coach, Elaine Vigneault, after the Rangers finished the 2017-2018 season with a 34-39-9 record, missing the playoffs. Vigneault spent five seasons as the Rangers head coach, leading the Rangers to the Cup Finals in his first season in 2014, but failed to return the following years. You know what's freaking magical about this firing? What's that? Like, two hours before he got fired, Vigneault does this... He does this press conference where he's like, I'm not the problem. And he was just like, absolve the coaching staff of all guilt. And then wow. is promptly fired. Yeah, that's pretty bad, man. Well, it's hilarious because you have to think that Gorton saw that. He's like, lol, get a load of this guy. <laughs> but then again, like, Van like, New York can definitely do stuff like that because like the storied history the money they can hire whoever they want and they'll be able to get players around them yeah and that's what the new york rangers have done under glenn sailor like they threw how many hundreds of millions of dollars around it guys like eric lindros pavel burry theo flurry shanahan shanahan yager avery um avery. Other guys like that, and Marion Gabrick, Oli Okunin, like... Kevin Shattenkirk. Kevin Shattenkirk. The great one. No, I guess Gretzky was... No, that's not... No. Gretzky was already retired by the time that he left town. Yeah. Peter Nedved. Marcus Nasland. Martin St. Louis. Yeah, that's true. Like, the list goes on. Oh my god, it is unbelievable. Yeah, so this is just New York doing what New York does. And, yeah, it really seemed like uh, Vigneault... It was the end of the road for Alain Vigneault, and Alain Vigneault was the only one who was yet to see it. For sure. Now, before we go into the next story, I just want to say, on behalf of all the NHL fans, Elaine, thank you for all of your years and dedication to the New York Rangers. But with that being said, Elaine... Oh, I've been waiting so long to play that clip. I'm surprised that we've ne we haven't we have had a coach firing yet. I know. It wasn't until like mid-March I actually thought about it. I was like, oh my god, we haven't had a fired head coach yet. And considering how many teams have had just dumpster fire seasons. That's true, but I mean, you've also got to factor in that if these teams were to fire their head coaches, like there's not a ton of, I don't want to say high quality, but top name head coaches that are looking for a job right now. Yeah. I mean, unless you want to go for like Sheldon Keefe or Luke Richardson or one of these guys. But yeah, other than that, there's really pretty slim pickings out there. Well, I don't think, I don't know. I think it's, it's never a bad idea to like try to get some fresh blood in. If all you've got it, like if your best leftover bet is like Dan Balsima. Yeah. Go to the AHL, see what you can get. Yeah, my biggest fear the with the Senators is that if they do let Guy Boucher go, that they're going to bring Mark Crawford in as their head coach. Yeah. Because do you really think the the players would listen to him? Like, he worked under Boucher. They're just going to be like, they're just going to look at him and be like, yeah, you know, you're more likely to be gone before we are, so we're just not going to care. Yeah. Although, if Mark Crawford does bring, like, a high-tempo style, it could be exciting to watch. Yeah, if he goes back to his ways like he did with the Avalanche or Canucks, I think it could work, but I don't know if that can be sustained over a period of time. Mm -hmm. So let's go into our next story, Tim. Arizona Coyotes, they have re-signed Antti Ratna to a three-year, $12 million contract with an AAV-4. Ratna went 21-16 in six with a .930 save percentage and a 2.24 goals against average. Ratna struggled to stay healthy in the 2017-2018 season. Now, this is a goalie when we talked about our free agency 
episode last summer and we really pumped his tires thinking wow like this is really a great move for Arizona and given the season they have and that he's also been injured I am quite happy that they've given him this contract extension because I feel when he's healthy Arizona is a much better team well I think like looking at the way Arizona played down the stretch the Arizona Coyotes would have been pushing for a playoff spot if they didn't just have injury hell to start the season Oh my god, I know. It made the I mean the only team the only other team I can think of that was probably more beaten up was the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, where they went through six goalies. At least it was kind of like watching the Seahawks and their running backs. Yeah, but somehow Vegas made it work. Yeah, I don't know what the hell they were doing there. Black Magic, my ties, okay. I don't know what the fuck they were doing. Coke, cocaine. Yeah, probably. Just give them some methamphetamines. They'll be fine. Yeah, no kidding. But, like, how uh, you doing yeah, there, Dylan Ferguson? I'm fucking psyched! But, like, they locked Anti-Rat up at a steal. Like, uh, this is a great I just, I just gotta ask, though, do you think their Anti-Ratna is worth $4 million per year, though? Yeah. Like, if he... Like, on a guard... Like, on an otherwise not fair... Like, a somewhat underperforming uh, Arizona team, and he pulls out a, nine, a .93 in just shy of starters numbers dude deserves the money yeah i don't know what it is i just i just had this weird feeling that they overpaid a little bit for him but yeah i guess if you know if he's putting up those numbers on a garbage team then yeah he's totally worth it yeah and like if i've got a feeling if he he plays a full season he'll probably be posting like 0.925.93 the coyotes actually make the playoffs he'll be in the vesna talk for sure so let's go into our last story, and we have an Ottawa Senators story to top off top Yay! of the hour. The Ottawa Senators, their defenseman Thomas Shabbat, will play for Team Canada in the 2018 World Hockey Championships. Along with Shabbat, Matthew Shane and Brian Dezingle were both asked to represent Canada and the U.S. in the tournament, however, both declined for various reasons. That's that's super cool. Although, uh, like Thomas Shabbat's had a very good rookie season, and I hope international experience he gets some good experience out there and comes back even better. I am a little sad about Ryan Dezingle's inability to make the, or un, inability to go to the tournament. Yeah, but from I, what I understand, there was an illness in the family and they, he couldn't. His girlfriend has, they're testing her for MS. Oh, f- fuck, seriously? Yeah. It's oh my God, rough, I didn't dude. even know about that. Yeah, and it, like, just, it's amazing that with that going on in the background, Ryan Dezingle was able to, continue to play at an excellent level like yeah, it just goes to show the more mental fortitude of the guy and we'll definitely talk about him here in these games because from what i saw in the condensed games i'm just like fuck right this single's so good oh he really is and then but... i sat there and i thought melick's gonna fucking trade him in three years isn't he yeah uh... but uh also fun to note uh t- team favorite cody cc his invitation must have gotten lost in the mail. Yeah, I think that's what must have happened. It must have gotten lost in the mail. You know, maybe we got into the dead mail pile. Like with all the letters to the North Pole. Yeah. Well, anyway, enough about... Uh, enough, enough of that sarcasm. Uh, I think we have some hockey games to talk about. Yes, we do, Tim. We got four games to talk about. We got the Sens versus the Jets. Sens versus the Sabres, Sens versus the Penguins, and the Sens versus the Bruins. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> All right, Tim, we've got the first game of the evening. Jets versus Senators. This is a 6-5 Jets victory. Sens goals are scored by Matt Duchesne with two, Thomas Shabbat with two, and Christian Wolanin with his first NHL goal. Jets goals are scored by Blake Wheeler with two, Andrew Kopp, Josh Morrissey, Brandon Tanev, and Matthew Perron. Shots were 40-37 Jets. Andrew Kopp got on the board first for Winnipeg after he cleaned up the rebound from the point shot. Josh Morrissey scores to make it 2-0 Jets from the point. Blake Wheeler made it 3-0 on a shot that hit the net cam. Tom Shabbat scores to make it 3-1 after receiving the pass from Matt Duchesne. Matt Duchesne goes from setting up a goal to getting one himself to make it a 3-2 hockey game. 
Brandon Tana scores to make it 4-2 Jets on a shot that just got under the crossbar. Shabbat got his second of the night to make it 4-3 on the Hoffman rebound. Blake Wheeler gets his second of the night to make it 5-3 Jets. Christian, Christian Rolanen scores his first NHL goal to make it 5-4. Matthew Perron scores to make it 6-4 Jets after scoring 5-hole on Craig Anderson. Matthew Sheen gets his second of the night to pull the Sens within one with one point or one minute, five seconds left to go in the game, but that would be the final. Now, Tim, we can go on to talk about what great games Matthew Shane played and what a great game Tosh Shabbat played and the fact that Craig Anderson and Connor Hallebeck looked terrible. Oh, my God! Eric Carlson picked up the puck! Oh, my God! We're all doomed! We are all doomed. It's all over, people! We don't have a prayer! And, like, it's funny because, like, immediately after it happened, uh, like... Carlson was like, I just wanted to pick up the puck. And it was like all the backpedaling in the world by everyone. But as soon as he did it, the magnifying glass was down. And there's going to be speculation right through till either he's signed or he's traded. Actually, I just saw he talked today to the media and he said he wants to stay in Ottawa. He wants to retire a senator. So I'm taking that as a good sign that maybe there's a slight possibility that he could resign here. I hope. I definitely hope there is. But I think it's uh, hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Yep. One thing I noticed about the game, it was just running gun by everyone. Yeah? Yeah, it was just one team would be having all the shots, and all of a sudden go the other way, the back and forth, and just not a lot of defense. uh, And it, it feels like Although Winnipeg got the best of it, it was more of a some lines did better than others. Right. Like the spot Carlson line definitely came on top, came out on top, but that the CC CC Boro or mostly just CC really got buried. Actually, did you hear that Mark Bor or yeah, Mark Borvieski got nominated for the Masterson? Really? Yeah. The weirdest thing is uh I don't think Freddie Clayson even had a shot attempt that game. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if Freddie Clayson doesn't even make the Sens next season with how Shabbat's played, with how Christian Wolanin has played, and if Ottawa ends up winning the first pick and gets Rasmus Dahlin, I mean, that could be a solid three... Plus Chris Weidman. Yeah, well, no, Weidman's a right shot. Yeah, but it'll just shore everything up. It really will. Another thing I think that's fun to notice is, uh, yeah, Cody Cece got buried so i think i mentioned this last week but basically most games i'm looking at these shot charts to kind of see the volume of shots and who was on the better angle of it right they had to extend the axis out to fit cody cc on so you've got like everyone else is clustered and then cody cc is really far down so like cody cc is just getting dummied at five on five yeah, but you know what, Tim? We've talked about it all this season. We've talked about Cody Cece. We've talked about Johnny Oduya. We talked about how terrible this fucking team is. But on the other hand, I'm really happy with uh, Thomas Shabbat and uh, Christian Wolanin. Like, watching Wolanin skate is great. Oh, I know. And he's a big guy, too. He's not a he's not like a Chris Weidman guy at, like, 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, he's, what, 6'4", six, 6'5"? Six, yeah, he's big. And he's confident. Yeah, he's and, everything that Ben Harper should actually be, but he's not. Yeah. Well, what's fun is, uh, like, his first goal was beautiful. Like, it really was. It was good setup, good holding the line, getting it getting into where he needs to be. Boop, shot, goal. Just oh, I know, great. So good. I know, that was a really solid pickup for the Senators. I'm glad that he is now finding some ice time on the main roster. Yeah, well, I think he pro- he definitely makes the camp next makes the team out of camp next year, unless there's some weird regression. Yeah, well, hopefully he doesn't go the Ben Harper route anyway. Yeah, no kidding. So Tim, do you want to was... go into our next game of the Sens versus the Sabers? Yup. Sens versus the Sabers. This is a forty-two Senators victory. Sens goes and scored by Max McCormick, Matt Duchesne, Ryan Dezingle, and Alex Burrows. Sabres goals are scored by Ryan O'Reilly and Kyle Ocaposo. Shots were 34-32 for the Sabres. Ryan O'Reilly scores first to make it 1-0 Sabres on a breakaway play. Max McCormick tied the game at 1 with a deflection in front from the point. Matt Duchesne gives, gives Ottawa the 2-1 lead after a Buffalo 
dump is deflected into the middle where Duchesne hammers at home. Ryan Dezenko scores to make it 3-1 after showing veteran-like patience to snipe at home. Kyle Ocaposo scores to make it a one-goal hockey game through a screen, and Alex Burrows hits the empty net to make it a 4-2 Sens win. Now, like I said, I had to condense watch all of these games, but I will have some comments to make. The one comment I do have to make, though, is... For what I saw, it looked like Ottawa played had it gave a much better effort, and it looked like Anderson had a bit of a bounce back game in this. Yeah, but it just it wasn't that interesting of a game all around. Like Buff, like both teams looked pretty out of it. Buffalo more so than Ottawa. Uh, the best, like the best line was definitely the Duchesne Dzingel Hoffman line. Right. Uh, and Dzingel looked great. Um. But yeah, it's neither team was really in it, and uh, yeah, it was yeah, just not not the greatest game by either team. From what I saw, it looked like Buffalo had some pep in their step in this game, though. Was that the case? It came out in fits and bursts, right? But generally, it was a slow game that was really hard to care about. Okay, I know in their last game we were talking about Christian Willannon, and I know that in this game he whiffed on a dump on a dump out, which almost resulted in auto or. Ottawa. Buffalo almost tying the game at three. Yeah, and those sorts of plays happen. Right. But, uh, yeah, other than that, it, yeah, there wasn't really too much either way for either team. Okay. I don't think one team really played that much better than the other. Uh, I don't think Bob, like Bobby Ryan had a rough game. Like, he played only three minutes before leaving with what looked like another body injury. <sighs> But he was back for the next game. Oh, okay. I was going to say, why can't we just put Bobby Ryan in a bubble? Or wrap him in bubble wrap or do something. Or, and I'm just spitballing here, Tim. Maybe they go down to Canadian Tire, pick up a couple of those those plastic orange pucks, maybe play with those. Yeah. Well, Pascal Pascal LeClaire had a career-ending dodgeball incident, so let's... let's... Let's not really change anything here. Although he didn't, matter. well, he didn't get, granted, he didn't get hurt in the alumni game. And I'm really not sure. I'm still not sure why they asked him to play in the alumni game, but you know, whatevs. Well, who, did they, who else would, they had Laleem, I guess they could have asked Tugnut, but. They did. Pardon? They did. Yeah, it was uh, Laleem, Tugnut, Rhodes, and LeClaire. I guess the only other option was really as Emery. Tim, are you forgetting something? Marty Gerber doesn't count. Really? Peter yeah. Sidorkowitz, man. Come on, the Polish prince. Yeah? I don't know. I, was, I would have loved to see Ray Emery come back. Oh, he probably would have sucker-punched a fan on the way out. Oh, I wish he sucker-punched Melnick. Oh, me too. Me too. All right. Well, let's well, head on to we our third game, Tim. The Buffalo game anymore. Yeah, let's head on to our third game. Sens versus Penguins. This is a four to nothing Penguins victory. Penguins scores are scored by Sidney Crosby, Jake Gunzel, Phil Kessel, and Patrick Hornquist. Shot for 35-23 for Ottawa. Sidney Crosby gets the Penguins on the board first to make it one nothing. After Phil Kessel shot the puck, which Anderson stopped, and Crosby got the rebound from behind the net. I'm just gonna say this: Carlson did it first. Yup. Jake Gunzel with the bank shot off Anderson from behind the net makes it 2-0 Penguins. Phil Kessel makes it 3-0 Penguins on the wide open net after Anderson was doing... I have no idea what the fuck he was doing in the crease. And Patrick Hornquist makes it 4-0 Penguins, which would be the final. From what I saw, it looked like Ottawa was just completely lost out there defensively. The first two goals, I can't really fault Anderson on that because there's really not a whole lot you can do when the guy's behind the net, but the third one, I totally, totally put all the blame on Craig Anderson for that. Offensively, I thought Ottawa looked like they were really trying out there, at least. For sure. Uh, they just couldn't get anything going, but, uh, yeah, I think the first two lines, they looked pretty good. Uh, I still don't know why he keeps putting, like, Burroughs and Pyatt on the top two lines, but not giving time to Schloppik or even pay RV or White. It's a little frustrating. I don't have any really no, any notes for this game. The only note I have was on the Crosby goal. CeCe and Burrow were in front of the net, and neither of them covered Crosby. Yeah, the only defenseman I think who had a good the only defenseman I think had a good games were uh, Thomas Shabbat and Chris, 
well, even Christian Lalanen got victimized for both, was out for two of the goals. Right. But uh, Thomas Shabbat had, a, like, played 26 minutes and looked pretty good doing it. But, uh, yeah, just didn't really, like, the Senators weren't really there. Um, although, uh, once once the Penguins were up two or three, uh, yeah, the Sens came on just because the Penguins stopped, stopped gunning as hard. Other than that, yeah, Ottawa didn't even really do a good job of keeping Pittsburgh to the outside. No, like no, I totally can see that. Areas. Yeah, it was awful watching that. I was like, really? Really? You guys can't stop Pittsburgh? Yeah, and it's... Well, it's amazing. It's just really goes to show you uh, how bad this team is without... Like, how much this team really needs Carlson to show, shore up the defensive depth. Yeah. And, well, I mean, just lead the team and Otherwise, the depth just can't handle Carlson being missing. Uh, I guess we should have noted that uh, the Jets game was Carlson's final game. For now, he, he did not make the he did not make the road trip. So his last game of the season was in Winnipeg. No, it was at home against Sorry, the Jets. At home against Winnipeg. Yeah, because that's when he picked up the pocket and all the fans started freaking out like I did. Yeah. All right, let's close out this shit stand of a season. Sens versus Bruins. This is a 5-2 Bruins victory. Sens goals were scored by Ryan Dezingle with two. Boston goals were scored by David Pasternak. Tommy, really? Tommy Wingles? I totally forgot he played for the Bruins now. Danton Heinen, Noel, Akari, and David Baca. Shots were 35-28 for the Bruins. Ryan Dezingle scores first to make it 1-0 Senators with the perfect shot top shelf. David Pasternak tied it at 1 on the power play after the Bruins won the face-off to make some passes that ended up going to an uncovered pass neck on the side of the net. Tommy Wingle scored to make it 2-1 with a shot that goes right through Danny Taylor and in. Danton Heinen scored to make it 3-1 Bruins. Ryan Dezingle gets a second of the night with the Dezingle Dezangle making it 3-2. Noel Akari scores to make it 4-2 Bruins going 5-hole and David Backus hits the empty net to make it a 5-2 final giving Boston their 50th win of the season. So let's talk about Danny Taylor, because this was his first NHL game, and from what I saw, he looked like he looked pretty solid up until the Tommy Wingles goal, which seemed to get into his head and cause his play to suffer. Well, I think the hard thing is, is the whole team's, like, the Wingles goal was kind of a backbreaker. Yeah, and like, I mean, you could tell, just his body language, just tell that he was defeated. For sure, but, like, I think that was true for pretty much the whole team, like, Ottawa came out and played very well the first period and even into the second. But then uh, you could tell Ottawa had played last night. Right. And, yeah, it was just, uh, there was no energy after about midway through the second. With the, the exception note... of the Zingles, the Zingle, Duchesne, and White. Yeah, and that's the one note I have on this game, was that I felt it was an all-around better effort by the team coming off their game versus Pittsburgh, and Ryan Zingle was the real star with two goals. I also put in my notes, Belichick probably gets rid of him in a couple of years of contract time. Yeah, like, that, that 3-2 goal was just filthy. Oh my god, that was so nice. I was like, oh god. I had to watch it on repeat at least seven times. I was like, oh, that's so good. Well, just how did he even get into that spot? Like, he's trying to puck. Come on now. Yeah, like, now that he's starting to finish on his chances, we're really appreciating all the great things he was doing last year, too. Mm-hmm. And you know what's funny? We were talking about last year thinking, well, you know, we got a really good player. I don't know if he can repeat this, but he's shown that he's 100% repeating what he did last season and that he's getting really comfortable playing in the NHL. Yeah, like, yeah, I think the Sens actually have a surprisingly full top, like, their top six is going to be pretty solid, especially with the way uh, Logan Brown's been playing in the OHL playoffs. Oh, I know, man. He's going to be good when he gets up here. Yeah. Well, did you see his no-look Spezza assist in his most recent playoff game? I didn't know. I haven't got a chance to watch that. Oh, it's a no-look pass from the corner into the slot, received for a one-timer. Ooh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, I thought Danny Taylor, given the lack of support he was given at the, at the end of the game there, looked pretty good, all things considered. Yeah. Um... Yeah, like, most of the goals were just kind of unfortunate. Um, by the end of it, you could tell Ottawa didn't really care. No, because, you know what, it was a nothing game, and I really don't blame them. Yeah, for sure, and uh, it's kind of demoral. And after, 
kind of the way Ottawa's week went, it was uh, kind of demoralizing. Yeah. Um, I guess the other thing is like it it sucks for Schlappick being stuck on a line with Burroughs. Yeah, but hopefully Burroughs could either be bought out or just fired out of a catapult like Rex Banner. Oh, I wonder if he can. I wonder if Burroughs can end up on Robot Island. Maybe, maybe it'll be uh, Burroughs Canel. Yeah. Um, we should we should start that to be a hashtag, Burroughs Canel. Burroughs Canel. Yeah, it was just not. It was funny because the note that you had last game about Ottawa's defense looking good next year. I've got it my notes too. It's like, well, Adam looks good. Can cover himself after an error, unlike CC. And that I've got. That I've got my lines penciled in of uh, Shabbat Carlson, Willadden, Dolan, Boro, Weidman looking pretty good. Yeah, except isn't Dolan a left-handed shot, though? I thought he was right-handed. Oh, well. It's a work in progress. That's true. Like, we haven't gotten him yet. Yeah. And with the way the odds are and uh, the fact that Ottawa couldn't even tank properly, they just had to lose to Buffalo. Uh, I know. I know, Tim. But you know what? Think of the bright side. It's over. It's, over. it's finally over. We did it. <sighs> so Are we good. Allowed to go outside now? What is outside, Tim? I don't know. Is there a world among those walls that I do not know of? That doesn't involve Cody CC losing a puck battle to a guy without a stick. There is a world out there that doesn't involve Ben Harper at six seven not being able to defend. There was a world out there where Freddie Clayson didn't die. And now we get to experience it, Tim. Well, Tim, unless you have any more notes you want to talk about, we should just head to the close, eh, bud, for their season finale? Yeah. Let's do her. Okay. First of all, guys, thank you so much for listening to the first... The first season, season finale of the Third Line Public Sensecast. I hope you enjoyed this season. Believe me, because Tim and I loved recording them for you. You can find us on iTunes. Please listen, rate, and subscribe. We are on SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash Third Line Public Sensecast. Because our bot Dave made the mention, we are on Google Play Music. If you want to choose a tweet, you can find us on Twitter. At Third Line Plugs, our show's Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honey Badger, And I am at Great White Gipster. G-R-8-W-Y-T-E Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about the games that we talked about this week, if you want to talk about how Danny Taylor is our god, and, well, I mean, if you just want to choose an email in general, because we have never gotten an email from any of you people yet, choose an email at thirdlineplugsensegast at gmail.com. Normally, we talk about the games ahead, but there aren't any, so how about we kind of talk about what's what's coming for Third Light Plugs over the summer? Oh, let's do it. So... As some of you may know, we are going to be doing some interviews. We have one officially we will schedule for May, so I'm literally looking forward to that. We are going to be doing some summer episodes in July, so I'm going to be flying out to Calgary for yep. the Calgary Stampede. So if you, if anybody in Calgary sees a guy with a Taggart Tour and Snapback hat and a Suns Out Guns Out tank top, this guy. Yep. And Chelsea and I will be having cowboy hats, because that's what you do. Yep. And two beers, because I still owe that from the birthday episode. Yep. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, we're definitely looking forward to, well, a break from Senators Hockey, Senators episode, like, some mini episodes, fun mini episodes, uh, I think our, and fun interviews, too. Uh, I think our first hockey-related episode, uh, I think we'll be doing a post-mortem, and then we'll be looking at free agency. Oh, for sure, man. Yeah, it's it's gonna be an it's gonna be a weird summer, dude. Oh, it's gonna be interesting for sure, and we'll be here to document it for everybody. Yeah. Well, as always, this has been Tim Jensey, and I'm Taylor Gibson. Thanks for listening, guys. Go Sands. Woo. Hey, Tim, they honestly thought that we were going to talk about the first round of the playoffs. What kind of Canadian doesn't watch that? I know, right? So we're going to talk about our first round predictions. Now we're going to go from east to west, and we're just going to quickly talk about the rounds, 
the games and our thoughts on the teams playing. And we're going to start off in the Eastern Conference with the Tampa Bay Lightning versus the New Jersey Devils. Now, I have Tampa Bay winning in five games because I just feel Tampa is a much more superior team than New Jersey is. I think they've got better depth all around. And I just think there's so much... There's a real lack of experience on the New Jersey Devils, which really puts a big question mark for me going into this first round. Yeah, I definitely... I agree with your take there. Uh, I think it's going to be a pretty easy round one for Tampa Bay, unless Vasilevsky stop, like, uh, kind of slides a bit. Yeah. Um, we do have to be careful, though, because Taylor Hall and Nika Hirscher are going to be hungry. So if you can't contain that line, then Tampa might have some trouble. But I think Tampa's, Tampa's depth is a lot greater than New Jersey's, and Tampa easily won the season series, so... I'm going to give this one to Tampa. Probably sure. Tampa in four or five. Okay. Now we're going to go Bruins versus Maple Leafs. Now I'm going to say, now this is going to be shocking to a lot of people. I'm going to say Boston in seven, just because I feel Boston is the more rounded team than the Maple Leafs are. The Leafs are really good offensively, and they have a really strong goalie in Frederick Anderson, but still, they haven't really made many leaps and bounds on the defensive end of the game for me to warrant them to win the playoff series it's it this is going to be a tough series because both these teams are excellent which it sounds odd coming from a sense fan but i think i'm gonna go well it's hard because like the teams match up so well and so evenly like i think the boston has the edge on defense well i think toronto has a slight edge on forward depth mm-hmm Although uh, you can't sniff at Boston's top line of Marchand and uh, Bergeron. Yeah, but the thing is, Boston doesn't have a game-breaker in their lineup. And I mean, sure, they may have guys like Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron, David Pasternak, players like that, but they don't have that game-breaker that Toronto has with someone like Austin Matthews. Although Patrice Bergeron, I don't think, gets the credit that he's due. No. Like, the guy can shut down a game while still scoring two. For sure. So what is your prediction in the series, Tim? It goes to seven. It's too close to call. Okay. Washington Capitals versus the Columbus Blue Jackets. Now, for me in the East, this is going to be the big upset. I'm going to say Columbus in seven just because I am I really feel that Columbus is really hungry and they really want to prove everybody wrong, that they aren't just some team that really chokes in the playoffs. And Washington, well, I think... If you look at it skill-wise, I think Washington is a much better team than the Blue Jackets are. I think, I don't know, I just think the Blue Jackets might have the upper hand here against the Capitals. Well, I think the interesting thing about the Capitals is they have a game They have a game breaker. Their defense is a bit of a question mark. Mm-hmm. Like, Alex Ovechkin is, I think he's also going to be hungry. Like, the joke of he never goes past the second round. Like, I'm sure he wants to shed that. But Columbus isn't... They're a surprising team this year. Like, like uh, I wasn't expecting Alex Wenberg to come out as well as he did. Um, even Cam Atkinson coming back from falling off a cliff earlier in the season. The emergence of Seth Jones. And uh, the continued great play of Sergei Bobrovsky. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this, se- this, like, this series, it's definitely... Does Alex Ovechkin break the series? And who's better between Gauthier and uh, Bobrovsky? Don't you mean uh, Holpe? I don't think they put Holpe in. Really? They're going to put uh, Grubauer in? Yeah. Well, Holpe's been playing something awful for the last 10 games. And Grubauer's been great, so you got you got to ride the, ride the hot hand. Okay, so who do you got in the uh, playoffs then? I think I'm... I'm I think I'm going to say Columbus in seven. Okay. Now we're going to head off to the Western Conference. Nashville versus Colorado. I'm going to say Nashville sweeps the Avalanche in four just because Colorado, like, I don't really know. I don't know about this team. I mean, yeah, they may have Nathan McKinnon, but I look at their whole roster and I'm thinking, really? That guy's on this team? That guy's still in the NHL? That, that guy's still playing? Whereas the Predators, I think you look at their roster and you have... Subban, Yossi, Johansson, 
Rene, Fisher's back, and now you've got... Kyle Turris. Kyle Turris, and now you have all of these players, and I just think they're going to really overpower Colorado. Yeah, I don't think Colorado has a hope, but I don't think they get swept either because Jonathan Bernier has been playing out of his mind. Like, I think this series goes to five or six games. I don't think this is a sweep, but I think this is, uh, like, I think this is a foregone conclusion. Okay, so you're going to say Nashville in five or six? Yeah, like, Nashville swept the season series, including two games in March. Okay. I think Nashville takes takes this easily. Okay. Now, this is going to be the dark horse for the Western Conference. Winnipeg versus Minnesota. I'm going to say Winnipeg beats them in five games because Winnipeg has had this great season all all year, and I just feel that guys like Patrick Laine and Bufflin and Connor Hallebuck, I think they're just going to really overpower a Minnesota team that they're, very, they're staunchly defensive-minded, and they get offense when they can, but I just think Winnipeg's offense is going to overpower Minnesota. This is definitely hard, especially. Like the Winnipeg Jets, they're loaded. They're loaded for bear with guys like uh, Shifley. They picked up Paul Stasny, Blake Wheeler, Patrick Laine. So they they're loaded for bear. But I don't think I, I think we have to be careful underestimating the offensive power of uh, the Minnesota Wilds boot because Minnesota's been playing very well and they get scoring from throughout the from throughout their lineup as well. You get. You get it from Zach Frise, you get it from Koivu, you get it from, uh, you get it from uh, Stahl, like uh, Stahl, Eric, a rejuvenated Eric Stahl. So I think this is going to be a close season. Sorry, this is going to be a close series. Um, Let me just pull, and I think it really comes down to, does Minnesota grind them out, or can, can the Jets fly high? But honestly, I think you're probably right that the jets will be able to break the series like break break out and go okay so what's your prediction i think this one goes to seven but i think it's the jets okay now this is going to be an odd this is going to be a real interesting series the vegas gold knights versus the la kings this is one that i really i've had to really think long and hard about this because once again la they didn't make the playoffs last year, so you so I don't really know how they're going to play in the playoffs this year. They have a lot of experience, and a lot of the guys from the cup runs are still there. You have Anze Kopitar, a really re- resonated or a reju- rejuvenated Anze Kopitar, Dustin Bufflin, Jonathan Quick, Dustin, Drew Doughty. But Vegas comes in with a huge chip on their shoulder with a goalie who has won three Stanley Cups, and I'm just going to say right here, I think Vegas is going to beat LA in seven. I think they just have a little more speed to them and a little more, I don't want to say grittiness, but a little more determination than LA may have because they want to really prove something. I guess my biggest worry about LA is I'm worried about their defensive depth. Like Dion Fundoff regressed a lot this year and they're going to be relying on him to play big minutes. Yeah, but but he really had a bounce back when he got to LA. Sort of. There were games where he looked like the Fanuf CC pairing, so I'm I'm still worried about that. But at the same time, Vegas has gone cold at the wrong time. Okay. Like they're they're five and five in their last ten. Hmm. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how they go in the playoffs. I think they can take a series, but I think it's going to be close. I think I I think I like the I think I like the Vegas lineup better than I like the the defensive lineups for the Kings for the Kings. So I think I'm going to say, yeah, Vegas and seven. Okay. Now we come to our last series, the Anaheim Ducks versus the San Jose Sharks. I'm going to say Ducks and six, just because I think Anaheim, you know, what's funny. They have a really, a really old core of Perry and Getzlaff, but they're complemented by guys like Adam Henrique and uh, Jakob Silverberg. Uh, who else? Cam Fowler. You know, they have a lot of these guys. I, I think San Jose has the better goaltending. And I think they, you can make an argument that San Jose has better depth. But I'm just I'm going to say Anaheim in six. But on the flip side, 
Evander Kane has been playing out of his freaking mind since he's gotten to San Jose. That is true. That is true. Like, I didn't think one player was going to turn that team around. No, and I remember when we did our trade deadline episode, and I said that I felt Evander Kane was one of the most overrated players in the NHL, and I just thought they greatly overpaid to get him. But I I haven't gotten a great... A lot of time to watch him in San Jose, but from what I saw, he looks like, like wow, this is the guy that Atlanta slash Winnipeg thought they were going to get. This is the guy that Buffalo thought they were going to get. Yeah, and uh, there's a reason San Jose has a hundred points this season when they looked like they weren't even a lock for the playoffs. Like yeah. this team got hot at the right time, and I think they're going to continue to be hot. Like, I think they're going to continue to be hot throughout the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Sorry, at least through the first round. And San Jose, is they handily won their season series against the Ducks. Right. And, yeah, I think uh, like I think San Jose takes the series in six. Okay. Well, Tim, that wraps up the first-round playoff predictions. So we'll have to... We'll have to check back here in a few weeks after the first round ends and see how we... how it all ended up. Okay, game on, guys.